Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumble.org. If you've got a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, that's okay. The words will be up there on the screen in back of me. Luke chapter 1, and we'll get there in just a moment. Well, there's an expression that people have used uh, over the past several years when they're facing a frustrating situation. And it doesn't matter how big or small. And they say the struggle is real. The struggle is real. Uh, This expression has made it into many different memes, especially this past year. Let me show you a few examples. So here's the first one. Early on, we identified with that one, didn't we? Uh, the toilet paper shortage, and we were struggling through that. Uh, the struggle is real. Uh, this next one here, uh, many of us were put into situations where now all of a sudden we're teaching from home, and some of you have had to experience the quarantine, and here's, here's one little kid named Ben who writes, it is not going good. My mom's getting stressed out. My mom is really getting confused. We took a break so my mom can figure this stuff out, and I'm telling you, it is not going good. (laughs) Looks like he repeated himself for emphasis there at the end. It is not going good. Maybe you can identify the struggle is real. Uh, This next one here, enough enough said on that one, right? Uh, Many of you identify with that uh, who wear glasses. And then this last one, this dog here, just kind of epitomizes the way we all feel, right? We're just weary, we're, we're tired, we've had enough, and uh, the struggle is, is real. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to make light of this entire year. Um, I know that um, across the nation, uh, many have, have passed away. It's, it's been a uh, difficult, challenging time, and yet it's, it's good for us to laugh as well as we think about the struggle is real for all of us. Uh, the Christian life isn't easy. And yet, the problem is that oftentimes it's portrayed that way, even by pastors and church leaders. Uh, that if you pray and read your Bible and do all the right things, your life will be easy and, and your faith will be strong. And so when something hard comes your way, like 2020, you'll take it in stride and just trust the Lord. You're not supposed to have any fears, only faith. You're not allowed to wrestle with any doubts or questions, just, just trust the Lord. In other words, you should be able to to handle anything and everything that comes your way that God drops into your lap. In essence, your life should be like a Thomas Kincaid painting, peaceful and picturesque. Now the problem is that we know better, right? We know better. Uh, From our own experience and from the scriptures, this is not reality. We see something very differently in the Bible. We see that life isn't so easy I mean, this side of eternity, it's often a struggle. It's, it's, a, it's a wrestle. Life will be hard. We won't always handle everything with ease. And so the, the point today that I want to make is this. God is with you in the struggle. He is with you in the struggle, teaching you to trust in him. 
If you're new with us, we just started a new series last week called Who Needs Christmas? And the obvious answer is that all of us need Christmas. Every who down in Whoville needs Christmas. Even, even the Grinch, even those who find it hardest to enjoy need the hope that only Christmas can bring, that only Jesus can bring. And so throughout this series, we're gonna look at different characters in the Gospel of Luke. Characters who are struggling, some who are lonely, some who are searching, real people with real stories, people in process just like us, people who, who need Jesus. And so today, we're gonna look at Mary, the mother of Jesus, and ask ourselves this question. When God sends something hard, when God sends something unexpected, how do you respond? Obviously, 2020 hasn't gone as planned. It's been a bit grinchy at times. It's it's like this huge disruption into our comfortable lives. But if we believe in the God of the Bible, we know that he is in control of all things. So even though it seems unexpected and disruptive, it's simply God's way of bringing us into his greater story. And when that happens, our first response, our initial reaction, isn't always just to trust the Lord. No, there's a a struggle inside, there's a wrestling inside, and it's silly to pretend otherwise. Faith isn't that simple and straightforward. It isn't. When God disrupts our lives and sends something hard, it's a struggle. It's a process. It's often slow and messy. It isn't easy. So in these verses, we're going to see Mary, who's now pledged to be married to Joseph, probably had her whole entire life planned out. She's about to get married and then have some kids and just settle down into this little town of Bethlehem, for a comfortable life ahead of her, or so she thought. God had other plans, much bigger plans for Mary's life. He was about to pull the rug from beneath her feet to invade her life in a way she could not prepare for. So let's, let's look at Luke chapter one and see how she responds. I wanna read verses 26 to 38. This is the word of God. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and we call the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. 
So what I want you to see from Mary's life is that there's a struggle. There's a struggle of faith, a a struggle to trust, a struggle to believe. She's wrestling on the inside. She's asking questions. She's fearful and uncertain. Why? Because she's a real person in process, just like all of us. And yet in the end, Mary shows us that in the midst of the struggle, we can trust in God, right in the midst of it, not on the other end of it, right? After we figured it all out, when we feel like life is more comfortable or more convenient, no, right in the struggle of faith, we can surrender to him, we can submit our lives to him, we can trust in him. And sometimes that doesn't happen right away. I mean, and sometimes it takes time, it happens in stages. And you can almost see the stages of her struggle here in these verses. It seems like Mary goes from, why me, in verse 29, to how will this be, in verse 34, to let it be, in verse 38. Why me, how will this be, let it be. Those are the three stages in her story of faith. So let's look at it more closely in verses 26 and 27. Let me read those verses again. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And so it all starts with God sending an angel to this earth. He takes the initiative. He sets everything in motion. And notice the details that Luke draws out in these verses. In verse 26, this angel comes at a specific time. In the sixth month, that's of Elizabeth's pregnancy, down in verse 36, you'll see that. I think Luke is also referring to, in the wider context of the Bible, this is the fullness of time. In Galatians chapter four, verse four, Paul says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. So this this was the moment in redemptive history. This was the moment that everyone who had been waiting in the Old Testament and been praying, this was it. God was sending Gabriel to this woman, Mary, to set it all in motion. So a specific time, also a specific place, verse 26 says, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Nazareth was an obscure little village in the middle of nowhere, and it's just like God to do something like that. He chooses the small, the weak things of the world to shame the wise. A specific time, specific place, and a specific person, verse 27, to a virgin betrothed to a man. So this was Mary, betrothed, legally pledged to be married, probably only about 15 years old at this time. And notice the author, Luke, brings out the fact that she's a virgin. That's emphasized. Why? More on that later. But this is fulfilling what it says in Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So this is fulfilling scripture. But bottom line, what I want you to see here is that God is doing all of this. This is not Mary's idea. God is taking the initiative. He's invading her life by sending this angel and her life will never be the same. Will never be the same. Because listen, it's not about Mary. God's bringing Mary into his greater story. It seems disruptive, but that's what God does. You see, you're not the main character in the story of your life. God is. 
I want you to imagine just that um, your life is a movie. Do you picture yourself as the main starring role in that movie? There's a pastor that once shared this illustration and how in the movie Top Gun, which, by the way, there's a new one coming out. Um, I think it's been delayed till next summer. I know some of you are on the edge of your seat. You can't wait till that comes out. Um, but back in the 80s, right, top, top Gun and Maverick and Goose, you remember the story, right? Maverick is this, this cocky, confident pilot, but he's got a lot of issues going on in his heart. And then you got this supporting actor, Goose, which happens to be the, the better guy. He's, he's a better guy. He's a faithful friend. I mean, all the way to the end, we see that Goose tragically dies, and yet it only furthers the story of Maverick, right? He was just a supporting actor. And so in the entire scheme of things, he was serving to bring about Maverick's further story. And guys, some of us here in this room, we think that we're the Maverick and that God is our supporting actor, furthering our story. No, he, he's not our supporting actor. He is the main character. I remember one pastor said, I, I traded a starring role in the story of me for a tiny role in the story of Jesus, and it made all the difference in my life. But that's not easy when God does that, when he disrupts our lives. It's a struggle, just like it was for Mary. And so how would Mary respond? Look at verses 28 to 30. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and try to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And so initially, the first stage of her struggle of faith is this, why me? Why me? The text says that she's greatly troubled, she's fearful, afraid, she's terrified. Remember, she's a teenage girl. Imagine, all of a sudden, one night, an angel just comes right into your room. Now, I've... I've got two teenage girls, and so I know a little bit about what scares them most. I've got empirical data uh, to confirm this. Um, teenage girls are scared of spiders and centipedes, right? Um, in the first service, my little Harper was listening in on that and whispered over to my wife, and she said, it's not just teenagers. <laughs> she wanted to make that known, so just so you guys know. Luke's sitting there like, oh, brother, right, Luke? But, but this is this, is this, uh, this fear, right, that, that Mary's experiencing, and fear is a real thing. It's a real emotion that affects all of us, and not all fear is bad. This is an emotion that God has given to us. Some of it can be irrational, but not all fear is bad, and during this pandemic, we've all experienced different kinds of fears. Let me just list a few. Uh, the fear of sickness and death for ourselves, and the fear of spreading this virus to someone else that they might get sick uh, the fear of isolation and separation, uh, the fear of the loss of our freedoms and losing control. We all have fears, and so let's, let's stop judging one another and let's start listening to one another with ears of compassion and eyes of compassion, realizing that God is patient and tender with us in our fears just as he was with Mary. And yet this was a, this was a different kind of fear. This was a, a fear that, that gripped Mary with astonishment. 
I mean, she may have been frightened by the angel's appearance because every time an angel appears on the scene, people are frightened, right, by the, the holiness of that angel, the purity, the radiance. But more than that, she was astonished by what he said. In verse 29, she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now, this phrase, tried to discern, in the original language, is an accounting term which means she was adding it up, trying to add this up, trying to weigh this out and ponder this, and and she was just puzzled by all of this. Remember Gabriel's greeting in verse 28. He came to her and said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And so it wasn't just who are you, it was who am I? Why me? Why are you talking to me? Why are you choosing me? Favored one means graciously chosen by God. So this fear was accompanied by astonishment and puzzlement, like what's going on here? Why did you show up here to talk to me? Why is this, added, why is this happening to me? I'm a nobody. And she was. Mary was just a humble, God-fearing girl. So why did God choose her? Clearly, God didn't choose Mary because of her merit. God chose Mary because of his grace. She had found favor with God. God had graced her life, just as he graces all of our lives who are in Christ. And now, God was going to change her life by bringing her into his bigger plan. Look at verses 30 to 33. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and we call the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And so the angel Gabriel, in effect, tells Mary to lift her fears away from herself to a holy fear a holy awe and a sense of amazement and astonishment at what was about to happen here about who this baby would be. So the angel says three things about this baby. He'll be the savior of the world, the holy son of God, and the king of all kings. So let's just take those one at a time. He will be the savior of the world. Verse 31 says, you will call his name Jesus. In Hebrew, Jeshua, the Lord saves. Matthew 121 adds, you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Later in Luke 2 verse 11, the angel says, a savior has been born to you who is Christ the Lord. And so this this baby who would be born in a manger would be the savior of the world, the savior of sinners. Paul says it this way most clearly in 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a trustworthy saying deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. So do you know that you are a sinner today? Do you know that you're a moral failure? You've tried to be a good person and it hasn't worked out for you. You have failed time and time and time again and you're guilty before God. Do you know that you're a sinner in need of salvation? Well, good news, Jesus came for you. That's what Christmas is all about. 
A savior has come into this world. That's good news, and we need good news this year. We need to look in the right place. I love this quote by Carl Henry who writes, the early church didn't say, look what the world is coming to. They said, look what has come into the world. Look at who has come into the world. A savior has been born to us, Jesus. So number one, he'll be the savior of the world. Number two, he'll be the holy son of God. He'll be the holy son of God. In verse 32 and in verse 35, the titles most high, holy, and son of God all emphasize Jesus's deity. So this baby will be both human and divine. He will be the God-man, the one mediator. As it says in 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for many. And so picture this. There's a huge, infinite chasm between heaven and earth, between God and man. And Jesus, when he died on the cross, bridged the gap. He touched the Father in his deity, and he touched us in our humanity, making a perfect bridge for us to come to him by faith. And so this baby will be the savior of the world and the holy son of God, and thirdly, he'll be the king of all kings. Look at the last part of verse 32. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. In 2 Samuel 7, God tells David that one day there will be a king coming from his line, one who will reign forever and ever. Jesus is that promised king. He will never be replaced. Rulers come and rulers go, but our King Jesus will rule and reign forever over all things. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 The prophet Isaiah says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Now, imagine hearing all of that from the angel. That you're gonna have a baby who will be the savior of the world, the holy son of God, and the king of all kings. Makes me think of the song, Mary, Did You Know? And from these verses, we can say she did know. Not everything, but she did know a lot more than we give her credit for. She knew that this baby would be the savior of the world, the king of all kings and the holy son of God. So how does she respond to what she's heard? That's a lot to take in, right? So how does she react? Look at verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And so here's the second stage of her struggle of faith. She goes from why me to how will this be? It seems as if she's moved from fear to now doubt and uncertainty. By the way, this is not the kind of doubt Zechariah had in uh, the previous verses in Luke chapter one. It is not this proud kind of doubting that says there's no way this is gonna happen. This is the kind of humble doubting that says, tell me, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. I don't understand. Help me make sense of this. It's the difference between having a questioning spirit and asking sincere questions. 
between having a closed mind and an open mind. And I think we can all identify with Mary here, not in her situation, obviously, but in her asking the how question. All of us during this pandemic have been asking the how question. How is this gonna work out? How is this all gonna come together? How are we gonna get through this? And Mary must have thought, this seems crazy. I mean, I need more information. I need more details. And some of you moms are like that. Give me, give me a little bit more here. You see, God sent something unexpected into her life, and it seemed impossible. And just like Mary, it's been a lot for us to process. We've had some anxiety about the changes, about the uncertainty of the future, and we've had little control over any of it. And that's hard for us, and that bothers us. How will this be? For Mary, it was illogical. This can't happen. I'm a virgin. And even if it does happen, I mean, how is this all going to play out? I mean, what's Joseph going to think of all of this? What, what will all the, all the people in Nazareth think of me and all, all the shame heaped on me because of this? How will this be? And in verse 35, we get the answer from the angel. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And so God's going to do the impossible. He's going to send his spirit to impregnate Mary. Jesus will be born of a human mother without any human father. This is what's called the virgin birth or the divine conception. God's done this. Luke records this as an historical supernatural fact because it was never to happen again. But I think Mary needed a little bit more encouragement than that. And so he tells her about Elizabeth to fill her heart with hope. Look at verses 36 and 37. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Later on in the story, we're gonna see that Mary takes a three to four day trip to visit Elizabeth, her cousin. And as an older woman who also received unexpected news, she begins to encourage Mary about the coming Messiah. And, and this is a good lesson for us around Christmas to look to others in our church family for help and support when we're faced with unexpected news or impossible situations. We need each other. We need this time on Sunday morning. But I want to zero in on Mary's final stage of her faith struggle. After the angel had invaded her life with this unexpected news and assured her that nothing would be impossible with God, how did she ultimately respond to that? And this is, this is the climax of the story. Look at verse 38 with me. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word and the angel departed from her. I'm humbled by this. Mary went from why me to how will this be to let it be. Let it be, Lord. Let it be. From fear and astonishment to doubt and uncertainty to quiet acceptance and humility. Let it be, Lord. Let it be. It's an expression of humility. In verse 38, picture her. She calls herself a servant of the Lord. 
doulos in the Greek, bondservant, slave. One who belonged completely to the Lord. I just picture her. I'm under your authority. This is not about me. I'm just a servant. Let it be to me according to your word. I trust you. You know, this kind of response stands in striking contrast to the rest of the world, where it's all about my rights and my preferences and my choices and my life. Mary wasn't angry or bitter, shaking her fists at the sky. Why did you give me this? She humbly bowed down and said, let it be. It's not about me. Let it be, Lord, according to your word, let it be. Let it be even though I don't understand it all, I don't have all the answers, let it be. So in the struggle, she quietly submitted. She trusted knowing that God was with her. But listen, it didn't mean that her life was easy. And I'm not just talking about the birth. That was hard enough and all the shame that went along with that. You fast forward 33 years later, and Mary had a front row seat to the cross. In John 19, verse 25, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Just try to picture yourself there for a moment. Can you imagine what she saw? Mary experienced the most unimaginable suffering a mother could ever go through. She saw her son beaten within an inch of his life. She saw him carry his own cross. She saw the nails being driven into his son's bare hands and she saw him mocked at and spit upon, humiliated and shamed. She stood there and watched it all. She witnessed it firsthand. And yet, she knew deep down this was God's plan. Let it be, Lord. Let it be. And yet, her surrender was only a faint glimmer of the greater surrender that happened that day. She watched as the Son of God her son, taking all of her sin and the sins of the world upon that cross. This was the greater humbling, the greater trusting, the greater submitting. And listen, because he did that for you, you can do that for him. And Mary shows us the way. Even in the struggle, he is with you both now and forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your son came to us in humility, in meekness, leaving his glory behind and stooping down low into a dirty manger, into the mess of our lives. 
disrupting our lives, just like he did with Mary. And I pray that we might bow before you as Mary today, even in this moment, perhaps for the first time, and say, let it be. Let it be according to your word. I have run from you. I have tried to live my life apart from you. I have tried to fix it, and it's broken, and I can't do it. I lay it down before you. I pray that we would have the humility this morning to not only see our need to surrender, but the humility to look to Christ because we needed him to take our place. And so now as we gather uh, for this time to remember what he did for us on the cross, help us to see afresh the beauty of this sacrifice for us. We pray in Christ's name, amen.